it may not be the flashiest thing. It may not be the, you know, the most high paying or the most glamorous or the most social media worthy clickbaity situation. But it, in the end, like it gives me the personal fulfillment that I seek. And we are back with another Black With No Cream podcast, the number one resource for content creators on earth. Every Monday, we share interviews and discussions with industry-leading creatives whose stories will inspire you to follow your passion. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, and my goal is to provide you with the shortcuts, tips, and advice that'll take your career to the next level. You are now listening to episode number 217, and today's guest is Valentina V. So Valentina V is a cinematographer and director based out of Los Angeles, California. With over 15 years in the game, Valentina is an official resident pro DP for Aperture Lighting and a master trainer for Adobe Video. You may have seen her live streams on Adobe's channels teaching people how to use programs like Premiere, or maybe you've even seen her videos with the poet Prince EA, which have had over 100 million views. Either way, Valentina's got a fire story, so listen up. In this interview, some of the things that we discuss are how she moved from Kazakhstan to the U.S. and discovered a love for film at an early age. How she found a creative collective right out of college that gave her the opportunity to test out her ideas and grow as an assistant director and a cinematographer. The opportunity she got to create content for YouTube star Michelle Phan, creating some of the most high-level beauty videos on the platform to date. How she was able to secure her first internship at Paramount Pictures working in the post-production department. And how the lessons she learned there helped guide her into the type of creator she is today. We discuss how she was flown around the world to shoot for Dwayne Johnson, her advice for creatives who are just getting started, and so much more. I'm hyped for you to hear this one today. Let's get it. And with that being said, it's time for the current events. Um, you know, I please let me know. Feel free to DM me or text me or whatever and, and let me know if you even like these current events. I feel like it's a time for me to just kind of talk freely before we get into the show. And what, what will Ben talk about today? I'll tell you what was happening currently in my life. Uh, I just invested, I spent too much money on it, honestly. Actually, I don't know. It might've been the right amount of money, but I finally got the illest setup for drip coffee to make like drip coffee at my crib. I would always go get that shit at coffee shops and stuff. And I figured I'd spend so much money on it anyway. I might as well just figure out how to do it myself. And my coffee tastes so fucking good. It's so good. And I'm just, I'm just learning. I'm not even like a barista yet, but I feel like eventually I'm going to be able to call myself a barista my shit's lit. Whenever Dave gets back from Thanksgiving or whatever, I'm gonna make him some and we'll let him determine it. So check back in a couple uh, current events later and we'll we'll let you know what the deal is. But proud of myself, you know what I mean? Shit, shit fire, all right? Other than that, I'm not going home for the holidays. I wanted to go home and surprise my mom, but she got COVID and everyone else is sick in Iowa. I think I was like ranked like one of the top three states in the US that are just like savagely getting so much COVID. So not going there and probably not going to be able to go there for the holidays, for the winter holidays, but which sucks because that's my favorite fucking time to be home. But yeah, it is what it is. And I mean, before we start this episode, I know you guys are probably over me talking, but um, the questions of the week. The thing that we started doing in the morning roast is a segment towards the end where we allow people to submit questions. Me and Dave answer them. That shit's been super fun. So thank you if you've if you dropped a question, if we've answered any of your questions, thank you for for poking at that. If you haven't yet, if you have anything you want to talk to us about, anything having to do with creativity, please submit something. I, I want to keep that thing going. So I know there's a few emails that have already come in. If you want to send us something, just sub- submit an email uh, to bwncsubmit at gmail.com. And just keep it 90 seconds or, or less and you can, you know, just 
send a voice note or it could be a video, whatever you want. Just make sure to introduce yourself. I want people to hear your name and let you know who you are. And if you, you're afraid for people to hear your name, if you think the question's dumb for whatever reason, it's not, no question's stupid. You don't have to say your name. It is what it is. You can give us like a code name. Say your name's Raptor. Raptor's a dope name. I wish I, that's kind of a name I wish I had when I was a kid. Cause I don't know. Anyways, the time's come. Pour up a coffee, get ready to take some notes, and enjoy the best podcast ever created. Right, motherfucking. No! Ladies and gentlemen, Valentina V. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm tired. I just ran here. Yeah, I know. We were just talking. Can we talk about that real quick? Because you just that that was amazing to hear. And congratulations on the weight oh, loss. She said yeah. that she lost how many how many pounds? This year, since March, since lockdown, I lost sixty five pounds. God damn, that is impressive. I thank you. I, I uh, commend you for that. So what like. I know, obviously, we. It's kind of like the worst year to lose a bunch of weight because nobody knows and nobody sees you, and like. <laughs> right. I mean, but we're all on our phones, so I guess you could flex it that way. You know what I mean? I guess, but I don't want to flex it. That's the thing is, like, I'm not flexing it because that's not that's not what matters. <laughs> so was it for health reasons then, or, or just because you? No, were bored? it was it was because um, last year I was directing a TV show and we were ending season one. It was a travel show. We were ending season one in Gastaluache, which is uh, where they filmed Dragonstone for Game of Thrones. It's off the Bay of Biscay in Spain. So I don't know if you've seen Dragonstone and Game of Thrones, but it's literally like a mountain with like steps carved into it. Yeah. And to get there, you have to like hike for a while just to get to the base of that that inlet. And by the time we had gotten to the base of it, I was so exhausted and wiped out. And the rest of the crew, they were fine. They were like, la-di-da-di-da. And I was just like dead. Damn. And that's when I decided I'm like, I have to get my endurance up because we wanted to film season three started in Bhutan, which is in the Himalayas. Mm. So I'm like, I got to get my endurance up. We were planning to do it November of this. I would have been in Bhutan right now, actually, if COVID hadn't happened. And uh, so I just kept going like COVID happened. I was on a I was on a path and I just kept going on that path and I lost 65 pounds. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. It's definitely not easy. Yes. Um, Drink that up. I feel like it's it's uh it, it could change like the whole, I, I feel like the way you navigate through your entire day now, right? Like just having that built into your schedule. And I bet you feel fucking amazing afterwards, maybe not going right into an interview, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely, you know, when, when you're trying to like maintain a new healthy lifestyle, there's definitely a lot more that you have to think about as far as like, when am I going to have time to prep meals or like make my own food? When am I going to have time to go you know, run for five miles like I do. It's always hard to like build it into a day, especially if you're doing like a production schedule. Now that productions have started ramping up in LA, I find myself just like trying to squeeze it in at the most random times of the day. Man, I hear that. Um, well, shit, congrats. I want to, I know we're already talking about production. I want, I would love to start at the beginning because before we even do that, when you, when you do run into people and you have to kind of do that little sales pitch for yourself, like how do you paraphrase like yourself? I say, hi, I'm Valentina V. I am a director, cinematographer, and editor. I work on TV shows, campaigns, short films, music videos, anything that is either good for the world, good for humanity, or that helps me learn something new and improve my skills. 
I, I love that. You know, I'm curious, like kind of how did that start for you? Because obviously it's a passion driven industry and the freelance game is just different. And I know you have tons of different avenues that you tap into. And I see you on Instagram. I don't remember where I tripped over your clip. You know, John Cruz, he's been on the podcast before. Um, yes. Oh, oh my God. John Brandon Cruz. If you, if you don't know him, check out his work. He's amazing. I love him. He's a great guy. And I know, I think maybe that's where I first saw some of your work. I know you worked with Dwayne Johnson and I've edited some stuff for him too. So like the circle's small here, but uh, yes. you know, for you getting into this and having the passion behind your work and it's cool to hear it's like a philanthropy, like a uh, mission almost. And it sounds like in the pieces that you do, um, where does that come from at an early age? How'd you get started? I tr- I try, I try. Sometimes it's hard. Like there's sh- shiny things that you want to go do because there's like this celebrity or like this shot that you want. But I'm actually from Kazakhstan originally, Uh, the country that borders Russia and China made famous by Borat. And I came to the United States when I was seven years old, didn't really know about the film industry, but immediately got obsessed with like DVD bonus features and all that and just started grabbing my dad's handy cam and filming everything. But I noticed that a lot of the things that personally fulfilled me weren't necessarily the, the flashy movies. Like I'm not really a huge blockbuster fan, not really like big on Marvel or any of that. I was just really interested in things that actually changed my mind about stuff. Like I watched this documentary about the Arirang games in North Korea. And I learned about the North Korean regime through a documentary about these two gymnasts going to the annual games, right? In North Korea, I learned about, um, how fast fashion is basically killing the earth through a documentary called The True Cost. And then I started following this photographer, Benjamin Von Wong, who you should totally interview. Uh, he is an amazing, like, surrealist photographer, but all his photos have some sort of cause tied to them. So he he shows you, like, 10,000 plastic bottles floating on the ocean with, like, someone pulling them out on, like, a boat, like an aerialist tied to a boat pulling them out of the ocean. Like, we did that live. We went to Greece and we did a whole campaign for Greenpeace with that or um, these incredible structures made out of recycled computer parts to raise awareness for Dell's e-waste recycling program. So I started following this guy, this photographer, that I met him. Then I started... Um, working with him, shooting his behind the scenes videos. And he sort of like changed my entire mind about everything because he had also started with fashion photography with like beautiful women and expensive clothes and all that. And he just realized it was shallow. There was no, there was no there there. And I realized at the time I had been working for, uh, for an equipment manufacturing company and it was like, oh, wait, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm shooting all these like tech videos, but there's no there, there. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try as much as I can to take jobs that help people or like spread a message, spread awareness, work with people who are like-minded in that way. It may not be the flashiest thing. It may not be the, you know, the most high paying or the most glamorous or the most social media worthy clickbaity situation. But in the end, like it gives me the personal fulfillment that I seek. That's really cool. So when you moved here, for two things. First, where did you move to when you moved to the States? I moved to the Bay Area. So San Francisco area in California. Okay, cool. And then how is the Borat shit for you? <laughs> I'm so curious because he just dropped the second film. He's trying to redeem uh, the country by serving his daughter or whatever to, to Trump. It's like the most savage movie 
How, how's that for you? I, first of all, as just taking the fact that I'm not from Kazakhstan off the table, I think Borat's hilarious. And I think what he does is just great. And I love both movies. I'm a big fan. Um, but putting Kazakhstan back on the table, he does not know a single thing about Kazakhstan, right? Like he didn't even shoot it there. He has no actual facts about Kazakhstan. He doesn't even like speak Russian or Kazakh in the movie, which are Kazakhstan's main languages. So like substitute Kazakhstan for literally a made up country, it would be the same. So I'm like, why didn't he just make up a country? Why right. didn't he just do like the Princess Diaries Genovia thing or the Belgravia thing and just like make some other country, Asian country up? Why did he have to do Kazakhstan? Just it spun is a really, globe it, and just stuck it to I it. think that's what he did. He might have. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. So, okay, cool. Proud. <laughs> um, so you moved to the Bay Area um, and, when, and when you were there, I, obviously you found interest in film. Who was it that kind of, gave you access to that was it just like you were randomly like hitting the the hidden features and the dvds and checking out yourself was your family interested in film Uh, do you have brothers and sisters and stuff like how who was motivating you around the time and like obviously you had the camera and you pick it up and shoot but there it goes a little bit farther than that yeah i think uh i mean just like a lot of people they picked up their dad's camcorder and that was very much me and i started like mucking around on windows movie player Uh, around 2005 is when youtube started and i remember because i was very sheltered and like only allowed to watch tv for like a short amount of time a day and just like very watched as an only child so i remember when youtube became a thing and I hid its existence from my parents. I like <laughs> didn't tell them that YouTube existed for years because I was like, if they know that I can watch anything I want on my computer, they'll take my computer away. Yeah. Like that was my thinking. So yeah, it was a lot of self-learning, self-directed learning for the most part, but I will credit my dad for having a camera having a light like he had a light like a film light he had a low pro light in our house that i could play with which was awesome why just cut just he picked it up just to have i have no idea i still have it actually i still have it like in my cabinet yeah because i'm like you know what you never know maybe i'll need an extra film light so i I love that i I keep my i have a final cut pro uh five the book that teaches you instead of tutorials, I have the book that came with it. So I keep that one with me because I just feel like it's kind of cool to reflect on that every once in a while. That's crazy. That I think, and it is cool that, you know, you found this like sense of purpose with film. Like there was things that you saw early on that gave meaning to people's work and were able to open up eyes for you personally. You were able to see things from a different viewpoint and learn about that through there. But also that you took to YouTube early to understand that it was a tool. Like, I don't, I think I missed that. I I feel like when YouTube came out, I was like, I just knew to go there to find certain things. I didn't understand that this was like revolutionary for, for the world. You know what I mean? At the time. Yeah. I started working with YouTube channels. I still don't have my own. I just, you know, I was like, this is going to be an industry. This is going to be huge. This is a free way to disseminate information. If you have a message, you no longer have any gatekeepers like studios, executives, anything. You just put that message out there. And those people who are putting those messages out there, they're going to need crews. They're going to need teams. And that was really where I kind of stepped in. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to learn because I don't really care so much about TV and film. Like, sure, it's great, but there's such a barrier to entry and there's a barrier to viewing it as well. 
that, um, you know, if you if you have a message, if you want to get it out there, you have to finance it in some way and get it out there for free for people. So you you initially started to focus on you said you worked with them. Was that at an early age or did you later go on to work with YouTube or were you just saying you were making content for YouTube? Like, for- I have worked with YouTube quite a bit in the last year, but uh, with like YouTube, the company. But prior to that, I was just making videos for YouTubers. So my first big full time job was with this YouTuber named Michelle Fawn. She's like a giant it guru makeup guru at the time. She was the first makeup guru. So she had like nine million subscribers and Whoa. I was making her videos So, um, and that was one of those things where it's not just a person in front of a camera applying eyeliner. It was a whole production. Like her makeup videos were, if I do say so myself, the highest production value, like beauty videos that ever existed on YouTube and nobody makes them anymore. Yeah. What were you doing at the time? To, to make them stand out and to put that level into it. Was that her request or was that something that you brought to the table? Like, yo, she we really had, yeah, she had been doing it for a while, but when I, when I came in, she really started, when she hired a full team to do it, it just went next level. We had full sets. We had, you know, anything from like interstitials that we would literally build and shoot like beautiful interstitials. We would do like full graphics, like motion graphics on everything, Um, we would do intros and outros that were like cinematic films almost with, yeah, I mean, just, uh, if you go and see her channel from like 2015 ish, 2016, 2017, you'll be able to see some of my work. Um, yeah, we traveled to different places to shoot videos. It was like a full, just think of like a full film set, but just for a makeup beauty video. Right now, I mean that that industry is so massive. So to to put your weight into it like that is is super key, obviously. And you said like people aren't really doing it that way anymore. Do you feel like the channels took yeah. off? Like I feel like people have gotten to. It's interesting to see how YouTube's transformed, where people just mm-hmm. want to like. It doesn't matter if I hold my phone out and just like film myself anymore and tell you about my new line, and then people just go to add to cart. You know what I mean? It's so crazy how that messaging works, where you're taking the commercial world and pairing it with YouTube, right? Like production wise. Yeah. I mean, it just, it isn't worth it anymore to do that because YouTube, YouTube, as you know, it goes through cycles and it goes through what's, what's in vogue at the time. And at that time it used to be that people actually wanted to watch these videos for the knowledge that the videos gave them for the educational content. And a lot of beauty YouTubers, quote unquote, were doing beauty youtube they were making tutorials and now hardly anyone does it's all challenge videos collabs dance videos vlogs um it's really more personality based than like a how-to and uh it's fine i mean it's just different and honestly i'm glad that i had all of those experiences because they made me a better filmmaker and I met a lot of really amazing people. I met, that's how I know Cruz actually. John, really? John Brandon Cruz. Yeah. Through a campaign or something? So his girlfriend at the time was my boss. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. So to, to get to that point, you know, what was your education like? Obviously you can shoot around the house with your dad's camera and the light, but you have to take it to a next level. And I'm sure you, you, did you attend uh, UCLA? Went to UCLA. I studied design uh, with a minor in film. And that was my quote unquote education. It wasn't a film education because it wasn't very hands on, 
but I was in an amazing club at UCLA called the Film and Photography Society. And that's where all of my education came from as far as on the film side, because we would literally make films every quarter. We would have the full film roles like we'd have producers, casting directors, writers, actors, like everything. We would submit them to festivals. We even won a few festivals while I was there. And that was really cutting my teeth. And then after graduation, I joined a filmmaking collective in Los Angeles called We Make Movies. And that was a continuing education for me. That's where I learned how to first AD. That's where I got my first feature gig as first AD. Then I started ADing features and on and so forth. But so you, I love that because we had just, so on Wednesday or not Wednesday, sorry, that's our old podcast schedule. Every other week, we drop a, uh, a podcast called The Morning Roast, where me and my partner Dave will like deep dive into topics. And we just talked about this not too long ago, long ago about being able to connect with people and how important groups are. Like you're talking about the the education we're getting was like, all right, cool, it's cool, but it's not exactly what you would probably want from like a film filmmaking degree. But then you took it to another level and found a circle of people that you could that related to you and that saw you know the same vision that you may see and were collaborative and. And that's, exactly. I feel like it's so important for people to understand that like putting yourself in circles and that growth period is so important in a creator's life, like especially once you join this group. So you were, you, you joined that community that we make movies. We make movies. Yeah. So you, that was a, like a production company or a collective of like freelance creators that all just kind of brought projects together. It's both actually. Their their like highlighting feature was that every Wednesday they would get together. There's this um there's a bunch of theaters in Hollywood along like Santa Monica Boulevard, a bunch of black box theaters. So they would rent one every single week and writers would bring in up to 15 pages of a script. It could be a full short film that they bring in, or it could be a feature that they've split up into sections or whatever, anything that they want feedback on. And then the audience, uh, and then We Make Movies would cast it with actors from the We Make Movies, you know, collective. And then those actors would do a reading in front of an audience and an audience would, I was always in the audience and I was always giving feedback and, you know, like really pushing myself as, hey, I'll direct this or I'll shoot it if I saw or heard of any good scripts like come through and then we make movies got actually a um a partnership with both youtube and red to use the youtube space and use red cameras to create short films inside youtube space for youtube so that's awesome it was awesome yeah so but the problem was that it was like we were we were really really trying to like make four short films in one day, five pages each. So we had to have two crews and like be on two different sound stages. So at some point it was like the first AD couldn't really control two crews shooting at once. So the first AD needed help. So recruited me, taught me everything about first ADing. So I started taking over, you know, crew B and doing half the work. And then eventually I took over all the work. And then eventually I trained the next trainee, So that was really good. That was like a really good place to, you know, learn film etiquette, learn film terms, be on set, talk to DPs, learn more about cameras, learn more about lighting by literally doing it and having this creative outlet that wasn't um, like there was no stakes in it. You know, if, if we made a bad short film, it didn't matter. 
if yeah. we made a good short film, it didn't matter. Right. Which is funny. Cause it's like, that's, that's part of what college is, you know, like you, you right. bank on being able to do that in college and it was an extension of that, which is so cool. A lot of colleges are theoretical only when you go to film school, you have to really check it because mm-hmm. they'll teach you like what mise-en-scene is, but they won't teach you where to get props if you want to be a production designer or how to do contracts or anything like that. No, that's very true. That's really cool. Is that still, is that collective still around? Totally still around. They've gone digital right now. So they're doing a digital film festival right now. But yeah, they're totally still around. And I do believe that once, you know, this is all over, they'll resume their regular Wednesday activities. Uh, It's not just writer's nights. Like sometimes they have improv nights. Sometimes they have uh, workshops on like maybe you have an edit that's like halfway done or you have an edit that's almost done. And so they have screenings where people show unfinished work and you can give the filmmakers feedback on like, hey, I think, you know, if you throw this this audio um, plug in on your audio, it'll be less echoey or like, hey, I think that this beat doesn't work here or whatever. So it's a really, really great group in L.A. that anyone can join. That's super cool. Do you know uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hit record? Yes. It's very similar to that. I mean, he's dig- I think he's always been kind of digital, but it's cool yeah. to hear that, that they've found the partnership. But just being able to get together and be around people like I don't know how many times I like to talk about it, but like community is so important. And I think that that stuff can really help you grow. Clearly it helped you learn so much and and gave you opportunity by just you putting yourself out there, you know? Yeah. And it's wild because like they're real people, like real actors, like some of them are SAG actors. Actually, most of them are SAG. Some of them are WGA, like they're real uh, people working in the industry. And this is what they do on the side just to sharpen their skills, meet new people and all of that. So so, so you, you're working on that and at, at what point, you know, do you kind of take your next venture because, um, as you're, as you're learning how to AD and you're, and you're getting better at it, I'm, I'm sure you're starting to get booked more often. Is that where you kind of start putting more eggs into the freelance basket and you really try to develop like a business behind it? Or were you just kind of starting to get hired for different jobs? My, um, my career is like really weird. I went from doing, I, my first ever job was at Paramount Pictures post-production and so that was like giant features and then I went to the indie film world ADing and then I went to uh working for Michelle Fon the YouTuber on makeup tutorials then um after the makeup tutorials were kind of over I was like panicking and thinking that I needed another full-time job so I got a full-time job at Aperture that equipment company yeah yeah. and then I Yes, I have their lights too. They're awesome. I still work with them as an ambassador right now. But I, when I was working at Aperture, I started getting bombarded with requests from clients to shoot this, to direct that, to fly here, to fly there. And I did take some of them on the weekends and nights I was editing and it just got too much to handle a full-time job as like the director of marketing for a company and also as a filmmaker that is trying to make her way in the world. So um, once I felt confident enough, I quit my job with Aperture and I just went full-time freelance, like guns ablazing. And that was four years ago. And I just figured, you know, I can always get a job if I need to, like I have enough skills and I have enough contacts that if I need a full-time job, I can always get one. So I'm just going to try this thing for six months and see what happens. And here I am four years later. I'm like, 
all right, still going, even like through an entire pandemic, still going. All right. That's pretty tight. Uh, is it, you know, working, working for a company like that, how were you building, like, you know, you were getting booked to do clients every once in a while. Was it through people you met through Aperture? Or was this like prior clients that you met? Like, how were you gaining clients in general? Because I think that, that is something that a lot of uh, people who want to go full time with this are very nervous to make the jump. And a lot of it's like, how do I even build clients? How do I make my list? How are you doing yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, one thing that you have to remember is that uh, when you finish every production that you ever do get those people's social media like get connected so either at the time it was mostly connecting on facebook you know becoming friends on facebook and then once you are friends with those people then constantly be updating your social media with what you're working on so when i was working with michelle fawn I was meeting contacts that she had at mashable at snapchat at um youtube and all of these contacts remain my contacts to this day and still contact me for work or for referrals. The same thing when I was working for Aperture, I was making contacts with Nat Geo, with um, Discovery, with uh, Greenpeace, with Dell. Like, And it's not just the producers that you're working with. It could be anyone. Anyone. It could be anyone like it could be the PA that then becomes a producer in two years and remembers you. Yeah. So it's important for me to connect with those people at some point during the day, even if it's a one day shoot, connect with them on a personal level, you know, give them a compliment or, or talk to them at lunch. Don't sit by yourself. And not in a salesperson way, just like be a human, basically <laughs> be a human. Yes. Be friendly. Um connect on social media. And then once you're connected again, still be a human. Like I feel like my social media presence is not very sales person-y. It's just like, Hey, I'm on set today. This is what I'm doing. And then when the video comes out, I'm like, Hey, remember when I was on set, here's that video. And people see that and they're like, Oh, so she can do this. Cool. I'll remember that for when I have to recommend someone for a project. And it didn't like happen overnight. By the time I had gone freelance, this was like in 2016, I had been working professionally for six years and I had been doing film as a hobby for, oh geez, like since 98. So like I had enough built up. I had enough connections. I had enough everything built up to the point where I wasn't just like, deer in a headlights jumping in head first. I don't know anyone. I don't know what to do. Because one of the main things that, you know, when a client contacts you to work with them, it's not just you they're hiring, right? It's it's not just your skills that they're hiring. It's your network. So if you can be like, oh, I know an area, I know an aerialist or I know a race car driver or, oh, I know somebody who can fill that role or, oh, I know somebody who rents antique bicycles. Perfect. Like if you can give them a glimpse into who you know and who you will be bring willing to bring on to the project, then they're like, oh, this person's like really well connected. I'm probably going to choose this person over, you know, a person who just has a red and like doesn't talk to anyone. Especially so. for that repeat like project, like they've already done one project and their eyes were wide open to the fact that you did have so many connections and they're, they're going to know that you're a massive like multi-use tool, you know, and, and that impresses people, which is 
but also yeah. like you said, like how keeping your network big and being, being willing to be a good person and try to just connect dots. How, how do you, uh, for you, like how, how are you kind of keep track of the people that you're meeting on set? Like, do you have any specific way that you try to store information about people like in your Rolodex? Yeah, I have a digital database. So what I do is actually, if you want to be in it, it's bit.ly slash V's list. And you can go in there, um, put in your info, like what do you want to be in the industry or what do you do in the industry? What kind of, uh, what kind of skills are you proficient in? What kind of gig you want? Part-time, full-time gig based, what kind of, um, equipment do you have or want to have or are proficient in all of that, fill it in and then submit it. And that goes into my personal directory. So not only do I dig in there for my own projects, but pretty much every day I have producers contact me and they're like, Hey, Valentina, do you know a South person, a sound person in North Carolina or like something like that? And I'll go like, maybe, and I'll just go into my directory and I'll keyword search and I'll find them someone. And I, what I'll do is I'll contact that person, that person in the directory. Cause I never give personal contact information to producers. I'll tell the producer like, Hey, write me a blurb about what you're looking for, what the rate is and who to contact. And then I'll send that blurb to the people in my directory. So I, I keep that super private and locked down. That's fire. They do. Is that something that you charge like a, as a service or is this just you nope. just trying to keep people connected? Nope. It's 100% free. Nice. Um, yeah. And I've given like dozens of jobs, like full-time jobs to people and hundreds of gigs. I love that. Uh, I need to utilize that portal. <laughs> I, I, I try to keep it all in my notes and just like organize it by like a spreadsheet and just try to keep track of people that are, but you know, it, it is so, so powerful to be able to hand, at least help someone find someone immediately. And we're getting, it's growing so quickly that people need people everywhere. And so you yes. being able to tap in is so crucial. And for people to understand that if they get into your circle, the benefits of that, like to be able to be in North Carolina running sound and all of a sudden you hit them up with like a paid gig. Like that's, that's so helpful. That's cool that you yeah. do that. I want to yeah. go back to you saying your first job was working for Paramount and post-production. Is that what you said? Yes. So how you come that out was, of school and go to that? No, that was during school. That was a, that was an internship that I had, but it was also, it was like a paid internship slash I was an assistant because I came into the office the same time as an exec came into the office as well. Like we were both kind of hired around the same time and he didn't have an assistant. So I took that role, which was pretty cool for me because it was like the weirdest stuff. It was like G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra checking every single frame, like literally watching the entire movie frame by frame, doing a QC of the graphics assets that came back from the graphics house or like. Um, literally carrying a suitcase that had the only copy in existence of Star Trek Into Darkness, like from wow. the post-production building to the screening room. Like so it sick. was weird. It was weird stuff, but it was also like I didn't have a say in what how the movie was made. I was just working in the office and like neither did my boss. My boss also didn't have a say in in how the movie was made, and neither did his boss. And it was only like five levels up that you have any sort of creativity that happens. And I'm like, this sucks. Like if you're literally not JJ Abrams, you have no say. And that studio system was just like way too, I don't know, red tapey, way too gatekeepy for me. I was just like, I, if I have a message and I have to like wait 
to do this and this and this. I have to wait to get famous enough to have an agent. And then the agent has to get me a movie. And then the movie has to be greenlit for like three years. And then the movie has to be made. And then it has to like make it to theaters or get into a festival or like there's all there's so much that you have to do. But I'm glad I got to see that right away, like right even before I graduated school. I right. was like, Damn. It's like an instant turn off to just be like, OK, it's like I think Casey Neistat has a very similar story where, with his HBO experience. And he talks about how he directed and starred in and produced his own film. But the length of time it takes and all the people that have a say in it and just this whole process turned him off so hard that he wanted to commit to YouTube because of that and have his own, I hit upload and it's done and I get to say what I need to say and move on. And there's so much power in that. I think a lot of people can relate. That's, but was it cool to you at the time to be able to like, I'm the only one that has this. It's gotta be the coolest, right? It was the coolest. It was the coolest experience. No, I still maintain that it was like my favorite time ever because, okay, like, (laughs) like imagine dragons before they were famous, they just had like a concert for employees, like on the lot. And they had an employee concert and then they had a second concert, like for like families of employees. And I met them at the first concert and we were like waiting outside having lunch. And then the entire cast of Glee walks up, minus Leah Michelle. And Darren Chris comes up to me and he's like, Hey, can you sneak us into the Imagine Dragons concert? I know we're not Paramount employees because they were like on a Fox show on the lot. Yeah. So me and my friends, other employees, we surround the cast of Glee, like in a big bubble. And we all walk in to the Imagine Dragons concert. We all show our badges, but we like hide them behind us. And so we snuck the entire cast of Glee in the, into the Imagine Dragons concert, which like <laughs> my teenage brain was just like, what the hell is happening? Right, right going nuts. <laughs> and then after the concert, Imagine Dragons comes out and just hangs out with all of us. And then the um, the drummer is like, hey, take my card. Like, I want to be in movies. I want to, like, do soundtracks for movies. You're in the post-production department. I mean, my badge says literally, like, Valentina, post-production. Like, And he's like, oh, come tomorrow. Like, we're doing, like, a big concert. Uh, you can You can totally come in. Like, go to the green room and all that. So then we just, like, hang out with Imagine Dragons in the green room the next day. And again, like, teenage me, I'm just like, huh? Is this my life now? Like, there's so many perks. Or one time I was, like, trying to come back to my office from uh, a run in the production office. I was trying to come back to the post-production office, was which is in the Technicolor building on the lot. And I can't go in. There's, like, a security guard that stops me. And I'm like, I work there. Like, that's my office. And the security guard's like, you can't in 10 minutes you can't do it right now and i look outside my office there's like i forget what model this is but there's this like red sports car like extremely expensive like it's a mclaren or something i don't know and i'm like what and then tom cruise just like walks out of my building and all these people go surprise and i'm like what (laughs) what's happening oh my god i'm like oh that's why i couldn't go into my building cool gotcha gotcha I feel like that's got to be inspiring as fuck, though, to be to know that you're passionate about film in general and to see some of the like the top tier level actors and teams that are behind some of the shit. Maybe not being able to be a part of it creatively, but just just the inspiration to know like, all right, cool. So that is possible or I am close enough to see how some of this works. Uh, Maybe I'm going to take a different path, but like getting that opportunity had to have been incredible. I mean, it was it was really wild. It was really wild. And just to see how much money is thrown around on things and like 
Like my boss just got everyone she knows an iPad at the time. And she's just like, just wrap these presents. And it's just like all iPads. And at the time I had like zero. I had minus. I had minus negative money. money. I was like, take uh, that little uh, iPad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it, I get one too, right? For having to do right, this right. Oh yeah, because I'm here. Yeah. I'm like so, I'm helpful, right? I'm so you friend. do the internship, and you and, and you. How many internships did you do? Like I, I'm. I did. I did two. I did a Paramount internship, and I did an internship with uh, Berman Braun. Now they're called Whale Rock Industries. This was in 2012, where YouTube had their big like production initiative i don't know if you know about this no maybe youtube allocated or google allocated like a billion dollars to give to various production companies in la new york like professional production companies to start youtube channels that were professional Mm. so that like the the cachet of youtube just as a streaming service would be higher it wouldn't just be like teenagers in their bedrooms it would be like professional looking stuff so this was a company that had gotten that they started tasted Cinefix and tested, which I think of the three tested is still around. That is the Mythbusters Adam Savage YouTube channel. Oh, dope. And so at the time I was working for all three channels as an intern. And then I pitched a show to Cinefix, which they liked. So halfway through my internship, I started show running a show and then I pitched a second show, which they also liked. And then so I did a second show with them as well, which was an animated show where I was the writer, director and animator of it. And that carried through like past graduation. Good so Lord. I just became an employee after I graduated from UCLA. Jesus Christ. OK, so what made you feel like you were in a position to even make a pitch during your internship? Like how did how- you know what I mean? Like that takes yeah. a lot of, uh, there's it, yeah, no, I was, I was literally the only intern that did that. And it was mostly because this, this is actually really good advice. I think when you are in an internship, you just, everyone around you is just another coworker. You're not below them. Even if you might be getting paid or not paid, like they're just coworkers. They're just people. So treat them as such. Don't treat them as like gods that know everything because they don't. They're just trying to figure it out. So if you can like treat them as coworkers and if you could try to make things easier for them, that really helps. So if they're like trying to develop ideas or develop, you know, a a lot of these a lot of these production companies that got the YouTube money in 2012, they were content for content's sake companies they were content for content's sake channels they were like youtube gave us youtube gave us a mission to create shows for these premium quote-unquote channels we must create shows for these channels so for me i just felt comfortable being like hey like i have i have ideas like can i pitch like because for them they're like oh thank god you know less work for us we can just pay this person uh, and she can do five jobs at the same time and she can create a show on our channel. So for them, it was like, oh, cool, like box checked. How was how was the balance? Like, how were you balancing your life and work at the time? Uh, obviously, this is early on. And you're hustling your ass off. So was yeah. it just work, 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 work? Like, how were you? Did you have like a team of people that you were bouncing around to these jobs with? Or was it just you joining this company? It was literally just me. And a producer like these shows weren't like show shows. They were like YouTube shows where one of them was like an animated show with a 
voice actor who was doing the voices, but I would be writing and animating everything on a weekly basis. And then the other one was a show where uh, basically I was the host and I talked about various short films that were interesting and why they were interesting. And that was the show. So it wasn't like complicated stuff. It was still YouTubey. It was just higher quality where I went into the office for the other one and I did like green screen work. Um, And then for the animated one, it was like full animation. And that was just like... The animation one was insane. Like the animation one, I had no life because I I, I was that. animating like a, a show every week by myself. So basically, I just did nothing but animate, and I got burned out real fast. I was gonna say I, I, I could see the burnout coming. Was there um, a reaction to this? Where did an audience grow from these shows? Or, or how no, did- no. It was like I said, it was content for content's sake, and it was also like it wasn't my fault that the audience didn't grow. The audience didn't grow on anything, no matter what they did, right? Because YouTube is such a personality-driven place that if you have a slate of shows or a slate of content and all of them are hosted by different people who don't also maintain other social media channels, it's just not personable. It's like you're watching and I love the 90s or like it's like you're watching TV, but it's just on YouTube and it's not really it's not it's it's not the right environment. Like it wasn't a good fit for the content that they were making. Well, it's interesting that they did that, that, that that's where they threw their money in versus almost like throwing a bone to the creators who are already on that channel and empowering them to do more. Like, why would you put a billion into fucking corporate companies that just do this shit anyway and do not really care? Like, it's a job, right? Like. 100%. You, you oh, care. they did not care. Oh, they did not care. No one cared. So it's yeah. like, why? Why? There's, it sucks so much. It's, it's not only did no one care, but no one actually watched YouTube. Like no one in that entire office was a fan of YouTube or any YouTubers. So they were making things like by the book, you know, they were making things that looked good, that had lower thirds, that had music, that had tra- transitions, but they weren't thinking about YouTubers or YouTube talent or anything, you know, I couldn't have a conversation about YouTube with them. They didn't know who the, like, they didn't know who Jenna Marbles was. They didn't know who Shane Dawson was. They didn't know who, who PewDiePie was. So it was just like, it was just a bunch of adults trying to make YouTube videos with a lot of money, like a lot of money. And, uh, it was a good learning experience, I will say. And it did, it was like, you know, paid. So that was good. But it did burn me out. And, um, you know, again, I learned that, pe- that that people have no idea what they're doing. The people at the, at the time, you know, I looked at my bosses and well, they had IMDb pages like I didn't have an IMDb page, Ooh. you know, and like, like to me as a kid. And I'm just like, oh, an IMDb page crazy. And now I look at my IMDb page compared to theirs and I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, OK, so. Same. I'm the same now as they were. Cool. And I'm like much, much younger. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's cool to see like the progression of that and then how you, I mean, I'm sure you learned so much about just you creating shows and having to deal with timelines and trying to make sure you could please clients and everything like that. Um, How, how much in that did you, did you have to like create content that YouTube approved or was it just that the company itself could just kind of approve content that they believed in? You know what I mean? Was there, was there something like where you had to like well, luckily, luckily I did have like the 
the the overlords of the company who were were calling the shots yes or no on on what I was doing it wasn't like YouTube like they were beholden to YouTube or whatever I was just beholden to my direct boss which actually kind of saved me at the end because because my boss was like technically the producer and was approving all this stuff. And like, I was running it all through him, including what music libraries we were using and all that. Um, Years later, when different people took over the channel and when the boss who I had was no longer working there, the, the people who took over the channel, they still know me. Like we're still friends. Like we know each other from elsewhere in the industry. And they contacted me and they were like, Hey, um, so did you have the rights to use any of that music? And I was like, don't talk to me. Talk to my producer who told me to use it. Yep. Peace. And I'm like, I am not a part of this. I have no yet. Yeah, do not even contact me. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. It's so crazy. It's so shitty, too, because if you think about it, it's like those are the bags that companies get. They're like, oh, cool. This is definitely going to cover like four of our exec salary for the year. And we get to throw money at production and we get to put, you know, another logo up on our website and just run with it. And they just don't care when there's so many creatives that would kill for the access, right? Kill for the Mm -hmm. opportunity to really create and try to tell stories with this money. And so many companies, I mean, I feel like YouTube's definitely gotten with the shits, you know, over the last few years. And they, they definitely focus more on the creators that are on the channel that, really understand it but god damn that's crazy so you so you you go from that job um you have this show at what point did you decide to dip when you started feeling the burnout were you just like i can't do this anymore i I gotta go i was only contracted for i think 10 episodes of that and so it was like yeah after 10 episodes i was like i can't do it i can't do this so i'm not renewing was it what did you have something else lined up or no no I did not it was a real bad year like right after that ended I was I had just graduated from college because I I did like half the show while I was still in college and then half when I was out and then it just like it just dried up like everything you know I was I was fresh out of college I actually graduated college in three years so I did like a I just took a bunch of credits and just like rammed through all of my classes and I graduated early And it was like none of my friends were out of college. All of them were still learning. They were still taking classes. I was by myself. I was living in someone's basement because I couldn't afford to get a real place. Um, It was real bad. And that's when I found We Make Movies and I started going to We Make Movies. And at least I had Wednesday nights was like the only thing that I had in my whole life. I didn't have, I didn't even have a kitchen or a shower. Like I showered at the gym and I ate like sandwiches from Subway or no, not even Subway. I couldn't afford Subway, 7-Eleven. And like, I just like was depressed and like crying and going to these meetings every Wednesday, like just trying to find a community of people that I could learn from because nobody would hire me. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, at that point you must've really hated the job or the burnout was so real for them to maybe consider doing another season or whatever. And you really just hating it that bad that you'd rather try to thug it out, you know, and find something else, another opportunity. It it was really that bad. It was, I mean, it was not something that I cared about. Like at the time it was for Cinefix, right? So Cinefix, filmmaking YouTube channel. So the show was uh, an animated tour through a celebrity's life in like a draw my life kind of style. 
So like, how did Jennifer Lawrence become Jennifer Lawrence? Like how to become Jennifer Lawrence and like how to become Joseph Gordon-Levitt and like all of that. And I just didn't care. Like I didn't care about celebrities. You know, I pitched it because I needed money and I animated it because I needed money. But at the end of the day, I was like, why am I doing this? There's a really great quote by Steve Jobs. He, I believe this was in, um, in a commencement speech. He said, every day I wake up and I look at the mirror and I ask myself, am I happy doing what I'm doing today? Am I going to be happy to doing what I'm doing today? And if the answer is no for too many days in a row, then I know I need to fix something. Mm. And so I think I heard that quote around that time. And I was like, I'm very unhappy. Like every single day I'm unhappy. I'm trying to meet this deadline, animating a show about celebrities I don't care about celebrities. Like celebrities are the last thing I care about. I'm trying to meet a deadline for like an arbitrary deadline for a channel that no one cares about anyway. Like it just. This is not you. Not me. Right. And, and that's. So I'd, I'd rather just be poor and depressed than do it. Right. And did you, did you have gear at the time? Like what I had of, no gear. You had no camera Literally, gear. I had no camera gear. I had my dad's light that I, that just I asked that him. thing around. I literally, let's see if I can find it. I think it's like somewhere here. She's just carrying around her light, making sure that she, with her one light, solving all of Hollywood's problems. Oh yeah, here it is. No, literally, I just had one light. I had no camera. Wow. I had this light. That's amazing. That is, that is old school. I, that was at my college. Yeah, I had this one light, um, no camera. It's a Lowell VIP System Pro. I don't even know what this is. But yeah, I had no camera and I was just trying to make it work. <laughs> just trying to live. Right. Damn. I, I, what I think is so cool is that somehow you tripped on this community. Right. And I think that for us and uh, in, in running a community, like I hear these messages quite often. And I, I hope that someday you reach out to the people who founded We, we Shoot Movies because I think that your success story is definitely some shit that should be on oh. their website. Oh, we make movies. They know me very well. I'm like great friends with the founder. He just invited me to his wedding. That's we happening go. very safely next year. So don't worry about that's, it. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like being able to a build these communities, like shout out to them for doing it and, and being able to create a space where you just, I don't know how you found it, but you did trip on it. And it seems to have just elevated your life entirely. Um, entirely. Yeah. When you, when you, you know, started learning and you started getting a groove where you, this is the time where you start kind of tapping into the freelance world, right? Like being able to go out and, yes. and hustle and curate content for yourself. So how, where did the first few clients come from? What were those clients like? What were those jobs like for you? Um, you know, getting your feet on the ground. Cause eventually I'm assuming you start buying some gear after you started making some money or were you just always renting gear for projects? I was ADing at first, so I didn't really need gear I think my first purchase, I mean, I had an old T3i that I got like used um, and oh gosh, what was my first gear? The first thing I bought, I'm using it right now, actually, is a Gorillapod. That's what my camera's on right now because nice. I'm like, I can't afford a stabilizer. I can't afford a glide cam. Um, but I can afford a gorilla pod and I could just fold the legs up like this. I could put one leg on my shoulder and, you know, I could put my T3, T3i on it. It should be fine. And I literally, I don't think I actually shot anything for any clients. Like I just, I didn't feel, I didn't feel qualified. I just felt, yeah, I just felt like, why would anyone hire me? Like, what have I done? Like, what have I shot? I have this history of 
doing like an animated show and ADing. But for We Make Movies, I started DPing. Eventually, I bought the GH4. That was like my first purchase. Philip Bloom talked it up a lot. At the time, he was like, he got a GH4. And I was like, I'm going to get a GH4 because Philip Bloom got a GH4. So I saved up all my money. I got a GH4. I got a Metabone Speed Booster, which at the time I was like, $600 for an adapter? Right. Stupid. Stupid, but I got it and I started shooting and DPing the We Make Movies short films like halfway through being an AD. I was like, by the way, I got a new camera. Can I can I shoot the next one? Thanks, man. Right. And then I started doing that. And then um, my friend who had won the UCLA like singing competition, they have a singing competition every year. She wanted some music videos. So I started using the GH4 to shoot music videos for her and just like little things little insignificant things about town just trying to learn how to use cameras trying to learn how to do anything yeah it's shout out to phil bloom because the dude has the best like breakdowns on gear ever you know what i mean i think influenced a majority of the sales for the a7s2 at the time because that shit was Uh, absolutely absolutely anything he recommends i was actually able to to thank him in person and like pay for a really nice dinner and it just be like listen man like i'd like to take you to dinner and like thank you for everything that you've done for me because it wasn't just that it was like um back in college when i was learning how to use cameras i watched this like video vimeo video film school that he did literally our professor was like i'm not gonna teach you how to use cameras watch this series that philip bloom did on vimeo i'm like all right (laughs) that's dope yeah i mean shout out to that teacher too because i feel like so many teachers that they don't know but they need to act like they do because that's where their salary is coming from so they just teach you the wrong shit or you know i mean like yeah. yeah, that's that's all. I, I hit him on uh, Instagram to try to get him on the show and he said he was down. So I got to find schedule that, which would be really great because, yeah, he's the pioneer of so much and such a cool dude. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's kind of like a rock star. Like when he walks around NAB or any of those film conventions, everyone's like, fell up. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so you you know, you start dabbling it. At what point, you know, if you're learning, you're you're kind of into ADing and maybe you want to get into directing. Um, when did you realize, like, why did you pick up the camera too? Like, you could have just stuck with that, I guess, at a certain point if you figured, all right, this person will do that role, I'll do this role, and I'll keep making content. Was there, was the need to get the camera, like, a survival tactic? Because you realized at a certain point? Yeah, it was. It was a survival thing. It was like wow, it's really hard over here to do to do anything without a camera because you always have to hire a DP. So you have to become a DP if you want to save money. Like it's just easier to buy a camera and like learn how to shoot yourself. But also because just like with being at Paramount and realizing that you don't really have a say in the final product when you are a cog in the giant machine that is the studio system, you also don't really have a say in the final product when you're an AD. I mean, if you think about what ADs do, they make schedules, they make sure that everyone is in the right place at the right time, they keep everyone on track, but they don't actually influence what the actual art is, what the actual look and feel and sound of the final product is. So I, you know, I was like, okay, Let's let's try to do this. But I've always I don't know. I always hated it's it's weird that I do camera stuff now. It's honestly 
It is so weird, Ben, because Why? when I was in high school, when I was in high school, the only people with cameras were like the yearbook kids running around all the time and with their DSLRs. And I used to look at them and be like, nerds, those, those snooty nosed. No, they were just like so entitled. Oh, they yeah, weren't they nerds. Controlled, they, they controlled the narrative. Exactly. They were just so entitled. They were like, uh, and, and the thing is, like, they acted like the camera was like the fanciest bit of technology that you could possibly learn and that they were like you know so far ahead of everyone else because they knew how to use a dslr and they were always just like i I always looked at them like who needs cameras like it's weird like uh like that's such a that's such a fucking like i don't know just fuck you (laughs) just for no reason (laughs) like you divas who are using cameras like i never thought that i would own one wow a let alone like become a cinematographer i literally remember the two yearbook kids who I actually liked, who are my friends, I literally remember like one summer during college, like it was, yeah, it was summer during college. We were all back in the hometown for summer break. They were all going to different schools. And I contacted both of them on Facebook and I was like, listen, I want to buy a camera, but I don't know how to use it. Will you meet me at the high school and let me use your camera? And teach me how to use a camera because I don't know how. Like the two yearbook kids that didn't get on my nerves. And they were like, yeah, we'll do it. So I met up with them and they taught me how to use it. They literally taught me what aperture was. They taught me like like what shutter speed was. I had no idea. They let me use their cameras. I didn't have my own at the time. They had like the DSLRs. I was like, oh, okay. So this is like, this is the mirror. This is the viewfinder. Like it was wild. And I learned... I learned like that. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm, I'm glad for that. I I stole my the camera from our high school. I took that shit. No, tell me what. I well, I took so they just never asked for it back, and so I and I needed something to shoot our skate videos. But I would do the same. Like we had the the yearbook people that did photography, and then there was like one video class. So I took the video class, and it was just like intro to video or whatever. And it was just nothing like was really happening. And, uh, and so I got to leave and shoot like my thesis or whatever you want to call it. And I just did like this, I was shooting a skateboard movie and that's all I was doing. It was at the skate park all skate park all the time. And then at the end of the year, they, they just like never asked for it back. So I was like, I'm going to keep this shit. Like I need, I'm going to, I want to keep shooting the escape videos. This camera's perfect. And I kept that thing. Sorry. Cedar Falls high school. My bad. Do you remember what camera it was that you stole? It was like a DV tape, uh, Sony, I could have, what was cool is it had the threads on it to be able to put a fisheye lens. So I found a fisheye lens off eBay and, and then I was able to like get really close to people. I don't remember what camera it was. It was just like kind of a point and shoot thing. I took like the part two class next year and, uh, there was like some new teacher. She didn't have a clue what was going on. She just kind of like took it over (laughs) and I taught the class on how to use tripods. So like the class definitely wasn't like set up for, uh, to truly educate you. But I think it's, it's like, what's cool now is like, I hear um, you know, like my, my girlfriend's little sister, like th- there's kids that are in these classes and it, they have so much more technology now. And the teachers are like obsessed with it. Uh, uh, one of our friends, he has a channel, Olufemi tutorials. Have you heard of his channel? His name is Josh Olufemi. Um, no. great, great channel. Definitely worth checking out on YouTube. But, uh, he's like, he was interning at a company that we were doing Chris Brown's documentary on and he would come intern there and just, again, going back to how you were talking about being an intern and like trying to make an impact 
he would always pop in the room and be like, what's up guys? And we're like, who the fuck is this? And other interns would always like come in there, but like to, to like put sodas and shit in the edit bays and just like never talked. And we're like very timid and just scared. And uh, he was the exact opposite. And I learned that he was a teacher and he was teaching these mm-hmm. kids in like junior high film. And he was so passionate about it. I'm like, man, it would have been awesome to be taught by you. Like it would have been so cool to, and I'm sure there's so many teachers like that now because there's just so much more on the internet. Like we can learn so much and so many kids are going to come out and be fucking amazing. You know what I mean? When they're 15, 17, like they're through the roof. They're already so they are. good. Are, do, do you have a TikTok? Do you watch TikTok? Yeah, yeah, I watch TikTok. There's some crazy. Just crazy, crazy talent, like crazy transitions. They're they're editing on the app. They're They're using the limited editing capabilities of TikTok to make amazing art. It's actually insane. I'm like scared. I'm scared. There's that one guy, like I, <laughs> Jordy, jo- Jody, I think. Um, I don't know where he's from, but he shoots these wild TikTok videos that just like he had. It's all about the BTS. And I think I saw something that you posted about BTS too. It's like he, it's he's shooting this ill-ass piece just to make the BTS video. And it's yeah. so dope to see. It'll just be like the iPhone and water pouring out of a spout. And he just does a good color grade. And it just looks like a fucking trick camera from a movie you know what i mean but just the fact that it's just like nope it's just my phone i just pour the water on the thing and it's all good like um and and the content just booms but anyway so people love bts they love bts do you i do you feel i i mean you were you were talking about it could you go in on that a little bit more like you create a lot of cool bts i mean i've been doing like weird stuff on my own forever like just weird stuff like dressing my roommate as a werewolf sticking her in some bushes and then taking photos like weird stuff And um, I recently started like filming BTS or just like leaving my phone on, you know, a little phone stand like while I do it. And uh, we so like my roommate and I, we did a a series, a quarantine photo series. She bought a plague doctor mask and I was like, perfect, let's. Yeah. Let's do a photo series of you in this plague doctor mask and these like post-apocalyptic scenes in our apartment like a tower of toilet paper while you're like hunched over your leg, like trying to shave it in the bathroom or like this like crazy candlelit dinner scene, but it's just like one can of beans and it's like your birthday and you're wearing a birthday hat. So we did all these like crazy photos and I could really be there in like two years. Maybe there's a chance that those photos would be like real scenes. All right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like I thought it was relevant. I was like, this, this seems like fun. And it was also like right at the beginning of quarantine where everyone was just like terrified. And I'm like, this is something that we could do on the weekends as like a, uh, like a roommate activity to take our minds off of everything. So I just recorded like on my phone, some BTS. I really slap dashed it together into an edit, put it on TikTok. At the time, like people weren't watching my TikTok. I had like five followers. I don't know. And then it just exploded like into like 300,000 followers. I'm like, God damn. What? Take that. <laughs> yeah, sure. The The only thing is like TikTok followers don't mean anything. Yeah. I noticed that too. Like, or views like out of nowhere, you'll just have like so many views and yeah. doesn't like equate to anything. And everyone's just trying really hard to shuttle any of these people off to like other platforms too immediately. Cause they're like, this is fine. You know what I mean? This is yeah. Gonna yeah. A TikTok follower, TikTok view literally means nothing. Like I have 300,000 followers. If you go into my DMs on TikTok, I don't have a single DM. That's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Okay. So to go back to the, the thread, right? 
as you're developing your skills and you're starting to get your own gear and stuff, you talked about traveling a lot and, and obviously you have this like sense of purpose with the content you're creating. So how, when do you feel like you saw like a drastic change in your career? Like when do you feel like it really started to kick into gear for you? Obviously I'm, I'm sure it's a slow roast, but um, at a certain point, did you have a hint? No, it, I really didn't. I, I don't, I don't even think I have like a amazing career now, to be honest. Like I, I still feel like I have not even started. Honestly. I mean, like, yo, you were in the bat, you had, you lived in a basement with no shower and shit. And it kind of looks like you have a dope little setup on this, on this right now. You have like a really fire out of all the people I've interviewed during quarantine. You have the best setup so far. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. So you've, it, it seems like shit's coming together. I don't know what you're talking about. Shit, shit, shit's coming together, but it's also like, I have, I have like really grand goals in my life and I feel like I haven't haven't gotten the momentum to like go to step one like step one would be getting representation so that i can actually you know bid for like giant projects that have giant crews you know i'm still don't need that shit i want it yeah but you don't need representation it's just another thing in the system that everyone put in place to make like you can go do that without it fuck it i i mean i have but it's like i i do want to get to that level where they won't let you do it without representation. Mm, like right. that's the level, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it, right. I've worked at Paramount. I've worked um, on giant sets before as well. Like I, right before quarantine, I did a, I worked on a Joseph Kahn music video and I saw, I saw the power he has mm. and I saw how people treat him. And I'm like, that's, that's something that I want for myself in my life, but I'm not even like, I'm not there yet. I mean, even interviews, like when you asked me to talk to you, I'm like, literally my first response, I kind of, I kind of let you, left you on red for a sec. Cause I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I, yo, I had three, I had three different people, you know, every once in a while people will hit me with like suggestions to hit. And I, I had three different people DM, like one person on text, uh, my, our editor for the podcast, she suggested you forever ago. And I, I, as, uh, at a certain point, I, I just grabbed names and put it in our like Trello board just so I can be like, all right, I'll look through this later. And I, and then someone else hit me again. I'm like, why do I recognize this name? I'm like, wait. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this content before. And then I realized you're tied to John and then I like put it all together. Like multiple people are requesting this. So you're impacting people's lives on top of it. And we'll get into it in a second. Like you're teaching classes with Adobe, right? Like you're teaching yeah creators. And I know that that might've been how my editor found you was like mm. Adobe is like pushing you out there. Right. So you're influencing many people for being dope. <laughs> That's part of it. Right. Thanks, man. Yeah. I still don't feel like, I still don't feel like I, I have had that like giant moment of like, wow, like this is, this is the kickoff point of the rest of my life. It just feels like very slow and arduous. Okay. Then let me ask you it this way. <laughs> let me ask you it this way. So at, at what point did you feel safer, right? Because now mm. you've put all your marbles into the basket of like, I'm going to attack this freelance game. I'm going to learn how to be a DP. I'm going to learn how to direct. I'm going to learn how to like curate content from a production standpoint all around. Um, and, and we also just did a morning roast topic on, uh, uh, what the fuck do we call it? Jack of all trades, like being a Jack oh, of yeah. all trades, right? So there's a point where in, in the, you listen to it, but it's like, uh, you can be a jack of all trades. And I feel like most people are at the beginning of their career, right? You learn all of these positions and you try to take it on, become the best at every single thing or whatever. And that at a certain point can like kind of hinder you from growth because 
you're trying to be uh, put 10,000 hours here, 10,000 hours here. And we don't always have that many fucking hours. So at a certain point, you kind of find your lane, right? And like, I feel like for you, you're testing all these different things and you found your lane. So at a certain point, you start building your clientele and producing more content and you started traveling and like developing more shows. And didn't you, weren't you nominated for an Emmy? Uh, My show was, yeah. That's tight. Like, fuck. (laughs) That that's that's tight. What are you talking about? So at a certain point, you feel do you feel safer at least in the production space to be able to be like, all right, cool. I can carry my weight and I can take care of myself and I can and keep curating content. I have good ideas. People are like paying for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean maybe when we were nominated for an Emmy, that was kind of like, oh, okay, like this show that I directed and DP'd uh, was nominated for a, a daytime Emmy, like in t- 2018. I was like, oh, uh, really? Like, okay, great, like that's awesome. But moving on, like to the next thing. Um, but I think I don't know. Maybe it was. You know, I'm an only child, and I've always been. I've always been like trying to do my best for my parents because we're immigrants, and just like trying to prove to them that that my path is valid and that it's okay. Right. And that I'm okay. But then, uh, they never really got it. They never really understood. And then one time my dad was actually visiting me and, uh, it happened to like overlap with a shoot. Like he was about to leave, but I had a shoot, but right before he left, you know, the shoot was happening like on a Sunday, he was leaving later in the day on a Sunday. So, Uh, I went to the shoot and I was directing and it was like this big production, like full, like over a hundred extras, full teams, production design, camera, everything like grip scaffers, like the whole nine yards, basically. And I needed something from home. I forgot what it was. I think it was like I needed a prop or something that I had left at home or at my apartment in L.A. where my dad was visiting me. And I was like, Dad, can you just bring this prop to this address Um, where I'm shooting and then like you can go you can go drive back to your house right so he like stops in to drop off this this thing he like comes in and the the PA who's like checking everyone in is like who are you and he's like like shocked because he can't even like reach me because I'm on I'm on set he's being checked in by a PA who is like not even the lead PA and he's like seeing like grip trucks and he's seeing like extras like waiting around and he's seeing that like, you know, not even everyone can come talk to me. Like only the head of each department can come talk to me. And he like gets a name tag that's like Valentina's dad. And he's like waiting there with the prop. And I think that might have been the thing because he my mom told me later that he's like so proud that he like told everyone about oh, it later. I bet, I bet he was woofing. Cause like, think about how cool that is to see the amount of people it takes to be able to put something together. Like, and like, who's just able to bring your parent to work day? You know what I mean? Like no one really gets to do that. So that, that's gotta be super fulfilling. Yeah. So my dad was like, after that, he was like, Oh, I understand. He's like, I get, I get what you do for a living because of course, then he saw me like he saw me work. He saw me direct. He saw me like talk to the DP, talk to the production designers, talk to the talent and like do the whole thing basically for a few hours. And he was like, oh, OK. That's so cool. And that that was really good because it, it sort of put a like a little bit of a 
like I always had a little bit of restlessness, like, oh, are like my parents proud of me? Am I doing everything to live up to their expectations? My entire life I've been like I graduated high school as the valedictorian. I graduated UCLA as the valedictorian. Wow. I, you know, it was and then I like had this like failure of a year where I didn't get hired and like was depressed. So I just always trying to climb up from that. And uh, that was like a moment where I was like, oh, no, 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 that's amazing. I think that that's if you get the opportunity to, to kind of like show your family or people that are important to you kind of the scale of what you do every day is always hard to imagine. Like my parents, I'm from Iowa, so people we don't do this shit there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's hard to get them to understand what yeah. it is. And when you do get that chance, it's really cool. Was it, uh, you know, as I would love to talk about, you know, the project that you said you were nominated for the Emmy. So you directed this project. Was it a docuseries? It was a docuseries. Yeah, it's called Gimme Mo. It's uh, like a hosted docuseries by, uh, hosted by Monique Coleman, who is an actress and an activist. And uh, she's most well known for High School Musical, like all of those movies, basically. And they brought me on um, as the director and DP for season two. But also so they had done season one like eight years prior on YouTube and Discovery purchased season one and uh, like greenlit season two, basically. But season one, because it was on YouTube, the episodes were only around like 15 minutes long and we had to go to 22 minutes, which is broadcast length. Right. So I also directed all of the pickups and like pick up, pick up interviews and pick up footage and all of that for season one. And then we did all of season two. Uh, which I was the director and DP for that. And that was, I think, like thir- 13 episodes, probably. Yeah, wow. 13 episodes, 26 episodes total across the two seasons. So that was like most of my 2018 went into that. And it was uh, basically focused on like every every episode was focused on a different topic related to empowering the youth. So whether it was focused on like, how the youth see themselves in media through body image, um, what an influencer does on the day to day and like why somebody who's a young person would want to become an influencer. So like talking to influencers, talking about um, immigration and DACA, talking about um, bullying, talking about how to become a woman in leadership. So we interviewed all of the every single female member of the city council so uh, in Los Angeles. So yeah, every episode was like, I was actually really proud of it. Every episode had a point, had a really good message, had really great interviews. We talked about like gender equality. We talked about um, like interesting, like people who are non-binary and like how parents of non-binary children can handle them growing up. Uh, we talked about youth that do community service. It was great. It was a great experience. So I'm very happy. And Mo, she was nominated for like best host for the daytime Emmys, which I also take as a big like win for myself because I'm like, I directed and wrote this whole show. So hell yeah. Heck yeah. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Damn. I how did you, you know, initially get in in with them even on the season one stuff? Like what was the introduction there to get you on board to the team or someone recommending you? Their like associate producer knew me through a con a mutual contact that we had. And they were very much like when I walked into their office and I saw they had like 
a portrait of Malala and a portrait of Michelle Obama. And I was like, okay, yeah, (laughs) great. (laughs) My people. (laughs) It sounds like that's a project that you've been kind of searching for. You know what I mean? Like as far as like something you care about, or you could care about those, those types of topics the there that you were talking about at the beginning. I mean, it was definitely like a project that I really cared about, but at the same time it was on TV. It was on discovery at like eight in the morning on Wednesdays. And Um, who's going to watch it, right? Like what type of impact can you have with a show that is on, you know, broadcast or yeah, that's on broadcast, like in the mornings, you know, if it's not being able to be shared online, there's no real impact beyond the people who watched it in their doctor's office that morning. Right. So it was a lot of effort. And I do mean like a lot of effort for not very much impact. Right. And so these days I'm kind of just trying to strike the balance between, okay, like how much do I work and is this going to be worth it? That's a good question to ask yourself. Since then, have you found the project? Have you found a project? I mean, I, I know you worked with Dwayne Johnson and you shot like his wedding, right? Didn't you do that? You yeah. shot his wedding, which is fucking like, what? You know what I mean? It, I, I always think about this. This is what I love when you do work with celebrities, right? The, what I think you should tell yourself because you're kind of like, I don't know. I haven't really done anything that's that crazy yet. But like the, the idea of Dwayne Johnson, one of the biggest movie stars in, on the fucking planet earth, right? Hired three people or two. I can't remember the credits that were on Instagram, but a few people to shoot his most important day of his life. Right? So three people out of like 7 billion that the odds of that are so nuts. That's got to feel pretty good to think about that. But like, you, you know, you're able to start working with different clients like that. Um, have you found a balance of something that kind of struck the chord for you that feels rewarding in a sense of like, I, I got the message to a mass audience or I was able to like kind of tell a story I wanted to tell. Obviously, maybe not in Dwayne John. Like we all kind of know how weddings work and, and a recap for that. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I do have to say like a big thank you to John Brandon Cruz again for getting me um, like for working with me because he he asked me to go to China with him to shoot the Chinese press tour for Hobbs and Shaw. Cause he works with Dwayne a lot. Um, and then when we were there, that's when DJ asked us to shoot his wedding. So I was just like, what? Like, obviously, of course, what? Duh. Like, duh. I don't shoot weddings, but I'll shoot yours. Oh, like, yeah. I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but yeah, I worked with this amazing poet, artist, like writer, his name is Prince EA. He's on YouTube. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. He does these really powerful, like almost like rap poem pieces about different things that he cares about. And he hired me to make like three of them. So that was just like every single one of those was incredibly empowering and important to me. Like one was about what is important in a marriage. And like, according to experts, what are the things that make a marriage last? And for me, it was really important to show not only like real couples in that video, but also uh, to show every type of couple from like very young to elderly, to lesbian, to gay, to straight, to every single type of ethnicity. And that was really, really powerful. Like it ended up getting, I don't even remember, like 300 million views or something like that. Because everyone was so it, it related to everyone on like a very deep level. And I credit Prince EA with letting me do that because it's not every artist who will let the director be like, listen, like I'm going to spend the extra effort and the extra time 
and you know, I'm going to maybe make this video a little bit later than you thought it would be, but I'm going to take that time to cast this with real people, not actors, and then with like every type of person. And they have to be okay with it because they're going to turn some people off. Some people are going to be like, oh, why is there an interracial couple in this? Or why is there a gay couple in this? And like, like half their audience is going to be turned off, basically. Mm-hmm. Then I did, I did another video with him, uh, which is the one that my dad actually showed up at. We rented a, an entire school and we did a video about how the education system in the United States is failing our students because of the way that they teach and like the uh, test based approach rather than the skill based or knowledge based approach that we have in the United States. And that was a really powerful video. It is played in a lot of um, it has been shown in a lot of classrooms and a lot of uh, school wide programs to like help reform certain school districts in the United States. Damn. So that was really good. And then the last one was uh, the most difficult edit of my entire life, but I felt so passionate about it that I spent a month straight editing it, which was a video about how women should, or like what women see on their social media feeds and how that makes them feel. And like, why it makes them feel that way. So it was focused on like, you know, if you follow a bunch of celebrities and a bunch of people who make you feel bad, you're going to feel bad. And we made the entire video look like Instagram. So every word that he was saying was what the Instagram caption or the Instagram, like what is inside the Instagram photo or what the name of the Instagrammer or what the commenter is writing or saying or doing. So like, if you actually watch the video extremely carefully, every single bit of text in that video is what he is saying in the narrative. Every single photo or video that's coming up is either shot by me or is a photo that one of his fans volunteered us to use, or it's just like a celebrity photo. Um, And then every single, like, like I basically rebuilt the entire UI of Instagram in after effects from scratch in order to be able to do that. And I don't just mean the feed. I mean everything, like posting a thing, um, stories, like everything. Jesus Christ. So that one was incredibly impactful because I had, um, like that one has, I don't even know, 100 million views at this point. And the, the comments on that are just like, you know, I felt really bad about myself. And now I understand that it's because of social media and it's because of the people I follow. I read a comment that was like, I was about to kill myself five minutes ago. And this video changed my mind. It was stuff like that. That I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. That's dope. That's a good client to have that. And it sounds like very valuable work. And it's cool that the comments that obviously stick out to you are these what the goal of the product was for. You know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't like, that, oh, this was so crazy. Did you rebuild Instagram from scratch in After Effects? Like no, probably no one's ever going to even notice the amount of work that went into that shit. But it's the idea that this is what it's like for most people. And that's how you're going to connect to that piece and that story, you know? Yeah. And the best, I mean, the best, that that's like amazing feedback as far as the content of it, but the editing feedback, the best editing feedback. So at the end of the video, I put in, a fake phone call and it says self-love is calling you and it's like the exact i basically duplicated the ios call like interface and so the best comment that i always get on that is oh snap i thought someone was calling me like at the end because they oh, they, wow, they it thought pops up. 
Yeah, because if they if you watch the whole video full screen on your phone, it should look completely indistinguishable from Instagram, right? So people f- forgot that they were watching a video. They thought they were on Instagram. And so when the call comes up, they think they're getting a call. That's tight as hell. <laughs> That's super tight. And that means that people were so enamored. They were so like drawn into the content yes. that they didn't even realize you know what I mean? That's that's so powerful. That's fucking great. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it when form and function can come together to like make something. And again, that was a that was a case of the client being willing to do that with me, right? Because most clients are not going to like go for a vertical video that's eight minutes long. Right, right, right. Of course, yeah. Shit. Um, I I I know you you're busy and you have so much to do. I would love to still talk about your commitment to like Adobe and how teaching oh, became part of your life because. Uh, teaching's hard, right? Um, it's not like super easy to teach people, especially online. And, uh, I can't imagine yeah. doing it for the platform that we all use pretty much unless you're a Final Cut user or whatever, but like, or Avid, but it's like most people tend to go, you know, to Adobe. How did yeah. that, how did that happen? Like, how did you start working with them? Uh, begrudgingly actually, because I didn't want to put my face out there for the longest time. And I, uh, I went to a convention in 2016 and I met Adobe folks at that convention through like a series of wild mishaps and hijinks. I ended up connecting with a few Adobe folks and they immediately saw like a female editor. And I'm not going to lie, like the fact that I'm a female is very helpful for me in a lot of ways because a lot of people need the token female for whatever they're doing, whether it's like a panel that is mostly men and they need a female or whether they've interviewed too many men on their podcast and they need a female. Like, I'm not saying that that is what you're doing, but I'm saying that that (laughs) that happens, right? Right. Yeah, of course. People want diversity. So um, when they saw that I was a a girl and I was using Premiere at such a high level, because at the time I was, I was making all these videos for Michelle Fawn and like they were really, really high quality videos. They were like, hey, we want to work with you. We want to like make a marketing campaign around you. We want to like connect with you. And I was just like, no, 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 please. No, I was a very behind the scenes person at the time. I didn't even have an Instagram account. Like I didn't even post on Twitter. I was just like, I'm in my lane. I want to become a serious filmmaker and I don't need to be promoted to do that. And I have like my things and I'm working on them. And then they just kept asking like year after year, they just kept asking, they kept contacting me. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do it. Oh my God. I'm still behind the scenes person. Sorry. Um, Cause they followed me, right? Like all of them followed me on social media. So it's like inevitable that they see what I'm up to. Cause I'm posting and they're like, excuse me, like you need to do stuff with us. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then they said, you know, you would be a really good role model for young girls who don't really ass. have a lot. to. They got my ass. I gotcha. They pushed, they pushed the one button that the one card that they had. You're and I was like, shitty if you say no to this, you're like, God damn it. Yeah, that's true though. It is true. Like to, to, you have some power there to be able to show, like put on for, to, for all girls. Like that's so important. You know what I mean? And stupid that it has to be a thing in general, like that, you know what I mean? But still like, especially in this industry, it's just fucking male driven as fucking like 
it, it's all, it's always been like that. So slowly and slow, slowly we see more powerful women pop up and just like, guess what? I can flex too. Bow. And then people become fans of them. And then more girls are like, shit, I could do that too. I didn't know I could be a part of that. I literally today I cried because I posted this photo on Twitter that was like, I posted an old, like a very young photo of myself with like a, I think it was like 10 with like a little digital camera And then I posted a photo from yesterday. I shot a music video yesterday and I just like took a photo of myself with my camera, like with my cinema camera, like all rigged up and everything. And I did the, the Twitter meme, the, how it started, how it's going. And this, this uh, father like retweeted it and he added, he quote tweeted it. And he said, this means so much to me as a father of a 10 year old girl. And that, like broke broke me this morning i was like oh no no oh i was it was like that that uh yeah have you seen that twitter react where it's like a cat and then they're looking at a screen and then all these like rainbow hearts come out of the screen that was me i was just like ah. yeah but it's um, so it's so for real like fuck like especially and also think about that there's like that weird thing where like people have their kids and if if like a dad always thought he'd have a cool little guy that would be just like me and blah, blah, blah. And then he has a daughter, but he's such a nerd. And he just thinks that the daughter might not ever be involved in this or care about this shit. And like, it gives him like some sort of hope, I guess. Like, oh, that could be cool if if we can nerd out on premiere together someday. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I, uh, the first thing I did with Adobe was I was on a panel for like at a convention. Um, and like that they, so they, they hosted the panel. Adobe hosted the panel and it was like me, the head of post-production at a studio and the like post-production supervisor at another studio, both like elderly men. And it was me. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> I don't need to be here. This uh, completely out of my depth. And that after that panel, actually, another dad came up to me and was like, hey, say the, say the same thing, basically. Like, I have a young girl. I didn't know that this was a vi- viable career path at all for women. And you're the first woman I've seen. Was that the topic point in the discussion? No, literally, we were just talking about like post-production. Hmm. That's and cool. And so, yeah. And uh, so that happened. That was like my first thing that I did for Adobe. And then, you know, Adobe and a lot of like companies, they teach at these conventions. So they asked me to teach one thing at a convention. So I was like, Sure. And I did that and they seemed to like it. And then the next convention, like the next year, they were like, well, you teach like two or three things. I'm like, sure. And then other companies that hold other conventions like post-production world, they started reaching out to me. Will you teach this? And I'm like, okay, sure. And then uh, Adobe and YouTube had a partnership where they would have a representative of Adobe teach at YouTube space, teach classes like live classes at YouTube space. So I was that representative of Adobe. Crazy. And then this year they reached out to me. They saw that I have the full capabilities to do like a high quality live stream from my bedroom, mainly because I literally rearranged my entire room to look like this. And then I learned live streaming from scratch this year. Everything from like 
what is a restream, how to use Wirecast, how to use like mouse pointy things on your screen, how to like make like what what an RTPM server is, like everything basically from scratch. And I I was like, hey, I'm ready. Like, eh. and they were like, great. And so I've been doing um, weekly, weekly live streams for them, just like for an hour teaching Premiere or Rush or Audition or After Effects, because I know all of those. And it's really been rewarding because a lot of people, they don't really have like all of the, all of this knowledge is usually behind paywalls and people charge a lot of money to like buy their classes to learn all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, well, I'm already getting paid by Adobe. So, and they're willing to give it to you for free. So it doesn't matter to me. No, that is cool. That's a great opportunity. And it's just a nice, uh, you know, when you, when you hit a pan- pandemic out here and you get a job. Oh, I, I'm not going to lie. It saved my actual ass. Like it saved everything for me. Like the fact that I'm able to do live streams and that I was able to like jump on this so quick and like learn everything and figure it out and like actually get the contract to be able to live stream for them saved me. Like otherwise I would not be making money this year. It was wild. Right. Well, congrats. That's so cool. I, I mean, obviously Adobe, everyone looks up to Adobe and I think a lot of people don't know that it's possible to like work directly with them. You know what I mean? So you're, right. you're an example of it is possible and there's a lot of cool opportunities that they probably provide for creators. They are wonderful. Like I'm not saying this just because like I work with them. They are wonderful. Like I think they're rated as like one of the best companies to work for, um, like on those like top 10 lists or whatever. Like they are great. They are so like willing to listen to me and to like work with my schedule and work with what I want to do and what I want to say. And like they've promoted me so much uh, to the point where I'm like, you gotta, you gotta stop. Like, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, keep it going. That's part of the currency. Just let it keep. Collect those. But you know, it, it it's wild when you when you get like when you jump on the the marketing bandwagon of a giant company and they start promoting you because I, I don't quite look like what people think an editor might look like. Um, even though I've been editing since I was literally seven years old. So like there was a sca- there was a controversy. There was like a little mini scandal that happened where they uh they were promoting like they usually promote all these like images across social media like me at my computer you know and they say like come to the live stream like at this time and so one of them was like you know i took a marketing image by my computer just like pointing to it and like having my finger on the keyboard just like you know a marketing image at my computer like nothing crazy and then i saw it on my own feed on facebook i was like what i get to see oh my god how cool like ding and there were like a bunch of comments on it there were like over 20 comments i'm like holy crap and then so i go in and i click the comments and there isn't a single positive comment the fuck literally every single comment is like she shouldn't be behind that keyboard she doesn't know how to use it like what is she pointing to like she oh i think i've seen her on instagram she's better at posing uh like Oh my God. Basically just like shitting on my appearance and who I am and like not believing that I can do anything, that I'm competent at anything based on nothing but my picture, which is a young girl sitting at a computer pointing at a computer. So I screenshotted it and I posted it 
to Twitter and I was, listen, I didn't expect it to blow up. I was just like 12 people follow me on Twitter. If any of those 12 people see it come across their feed, maybe they'll like write a nice comment on it to offset the negative comments. There isn't a single nice one and they are the target audience for this kind of advertising. So I literally wrote like, hey, if you see this on your feed, could you please just write a positive comment? I, um, I didn't become an Adobe Max trainer, Max master trainer, which is I'm one of the top 20 trainers in the world for Adobe. I didn't become an Adobe master trainer to get talked to like this. Right. And that post got me into a little bit of trouble because it blew up. They're like, like, hey, don't defend yourself. No, I mean, they were really nice about it. They were like, so we saw the post. You know, after it got like 100,000 likes or something and like a bunch and retweets, they're like, so we saw the post. Um, like, good job for calling that out. We'll try to do better. We had a company wide meeting about it. I'm like, damn, a company wide meeting. Well, good. You should like fucking defend me. You know what I mean? Like, or not Adobe probably, it probably happens so goddamn quick. You know what I mean? You can't be on every social channel, but like it is something to defend because I saw I I did this thing with um, the NFL and EA Sports like right for the the kickoff this year and directed all through Zoom and we finally premiered it and the premiere was just EA gets attacked but like there's gamer people out there that hate EA Sports they just hate you no matter what you do and we I sat there with all of the top people at EA and just we were all in a Zoom like reading these and they're just kind of like laughing and just like Jesus Christ because we worked so hard and no one gave a shit They're like fuck this game fuck Madden fuck blah 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 and we watched Ooh. it and I'm just like god damn but you know what you can't let that shit like those that shit just exists there's just fucking dweebs that are sitting on their computer just bored as shit at their shitty job that they're not stoked about and wish they could have gone to do to teach fucking things for Adobe or whatever it is you know what I mean and they just they just fucking, I don't know, vent that way. And it's so weird, but I hate, you hate to see it, but it's like, that shit can add to your depression, your creative depression. It can. And it's just wild. It's like, it's like a risk that you take because on my own social media, in my own little bubble where everyone knows who I am. And it's nice to you. And it's nice to me. Like, I don't really see that. But then when a giant company posts your photo and does a marketing campaign around you, and then you're like, excited about it and then you see like everyone shitting on you just because of your appearance you're just like okay but actually something good did did become of it because literally like the lead guy who shat on me in that comments of that post it got back to him and he emailed me he like found me on the internet he found my contact form on my website he emailed me and he was like hey so somebody uh like one of my friends saw your tweet screenshotted it and sent it to me and said hey look you're famous and then when i read it back i was so ashamed of myself shit he's he is like i am so deeply sorry i actually looked at who you are i looked at your website i looked at your work and i had no right to say that to you and the it reflects my own troubles with social media and how I don't think that anyone's feelings are going to be hurt, that anyone's going to read it. And I was just like the worst and I hate myself and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a serious look at what I write and what I post 
And I was like, damn. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Fucking Good. Idiot. Don't say shit like that. Jesus Christ. I, um, yeah, that's good. I'm glad that at least came from it, but fucking trolls are lame. But yeah, definitely work with Adobe. If, if anyone has like, if, if anyone gets the opportunity to work with Adobe, like jump on that. They are amazing. I love all the people who I work with at Adobe, literally like my saviors. I, I can't like, they're the best. Like I can't say enough good stuff. Like the best, the best, the best, the best, the best. And, and just don't take like two or three years to like, let it happen when they're begging for you to work with them. You know what I mean? Um, don't play hard to get. <laughs> exactly. It just, like, why? Um, I, I would love to, I'm going to wrap this up, but first I, blue hair. How do you keep that thing? Do you have to dye this shit all the time or what's the deal here? Cause this is like an iconic piece, right? This is like, I just wear backwards hats pretty much often. Cause you know, my hair be like disappearing as I get older. Blue hair seems to be like the trademark for you. It is. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's not, it's not my real hair. It's a wig. Shit. Um, Should have known. Fuck. No, it's fine. I, I'm very open about the fact that it's a wig too. So I uh, am also losing my hair. I've been losing my hair for I would say like five years now yep. at the point where it's like now the amount of hair I have on my head is like this much hair. Right, right, right. So I started wearing wigs in like 2015 before it started falling or right around the time it started falling out. And eventually I just kind of gravitated towards blue. So I have like I have like a couple dozen wigs. I have like about five or six blue ones that I change out every once in a while but it's become sort of like an easy way to just get ready. Like I ran five miles before this interview and my hair is done right in two seconds. I just plop it on. It's like, bam, it's ready. So, and it's also just like very recognizable, very identifiable and um, kind of a nice trademark. I think. Right. I like that. That's the same. I literally do the same shit with hats. So there you go. That's smart. Um, all right. So to wrap this up, this is what I do. So for people that listen to this interview all the way through, I don't know what we're pushing here with us. We've been chatting for a minute. So thank you for doing this and shout out to your roommate for blessing us with the vocals. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tell everyone that's listened this far to go to your Instagram. So they're going to go to your IG and whatever the most recent post is, they're just going to comment in there and they're going to put this hashtag that you're going to pick any hashtag you want. And they're going to tag me to at Ben Rovers world. Just put my Instagram. So, so we both know that they listen to it all the way through and be whatever hashtag you want. Oh, that's so much pressure. Like two years from now, we might get this hashtag and be like, what the fuck is this? And you click into it and we will remember. Um, hashtag blue hair goals, blue hair goals. All right. Run that. I'll, I'll run that one. All right. That's nice. So drop that people. If you're listening to this, yo, I appreciate you. This has been great getting to know you. I'm, I'm glad I, we'll have to connect at some point when this motherfucking shit goes away. You know what I mean? I mean, we live in the same city, so we have to. Like, there's no way not to. Exactly. Um, is there anything else you feel like we left out that you want to mention? I just want to say that you are really great at interviewing. There's stuff that I, I mean, I sometimes talk on podcasts, depending on if I have time or whatever, um, or if I care. Or, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, you've, you've asked questions that, like, no one's asked. And you've, like, Dang. got into places that no one, like, I've stuff that i've never talked about before so well cool thank um, you you're really good at it and uh i congratulations 
on being really good at it because hey. it's, it's a real skill. No, it's a real skill, actually. I just feel like there's it's there's such an importance for us like to share these stories as we grow. And even though you sit there and say, like, I'm just getting started, blah, blah, blah. No, nah, you've done so much shit and there's so much to learn because there's people that are literally just starting and trying to learn this. And, and when you can inspire them through, you know, a two hour long conversation or whatever, like I just... I meet so many cool people all the time on set or on jobs or on tour or whatever. And I just want to like share that shit publicly. And I mean, I, I feel like I literally stumble over my words all the time. And I'm like, I just try to make sure I get a concise story when I do it. But I, I actually interviewed Justin Odisho. Um, do you have, have you ever seen his tor- tutorials? Probably. You've for sure seen them. Um, he was my first one. I talked to this dude for like three and a half hours. I was so terrified to do an interview. So, and listening back to it is just like cringe as shit. So thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. No, I mean, it's just like a, it's just like a muscle. Me too. I've been interviewing for like a year now, um, on the, on the tutorial show, I interview people and, um, yeah, if you look at the beginning stuff, it's like, yikes, like it really does take time to like get into your flow with it. And, uh, you do a really good job. And I think it's so great that you have this community that you are basically like giving the gift of this these conversations too, because not only is it helpful in the pandemic when you, you're not really, you know, regular people aren't talking to new people all the time. So might as well hear conversations that other people are having. Yeah, absolutely. So true. God but damn. also it is, it is so helpful. Like the people that I've seen that some of the people that you've had before, like Cruz or like, I think you have Cole Wallace around here yeah, as well. Yeah, Cole is just on here. He's great. An amazing filmmaker. Like you're pulling some awesome people, so... Thank you. I appreciate it. you. Well, you guys, I didn't pay her to say all that nice shit, uh, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you. Drop the hashtag, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yo, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Ba, 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 ba. That's me punching the shit out of my computer screen uh, right where the subscribe button is, and it worked. All right? Success. If you want to connect with other like-minded creatives, share your work, get feedback, ask questions, find job opportunities, and so much more, join our free private community at bwnc.com slash join. We would love to have you. Please join. And lastly, I just want to give a big shout out to all of you guys who are supporting the show. Whether you've shared the episode with another creative homie or you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or engage with us on social media or text, whatever. Yo, we appreciate it. Like, you're the shit. Uh, Thank you so much. I I love it. I love it when you guys listen to the episode and you find value in it. And that's that's the whole reason why we do this. So thank you for the love. Um, make sure to connect with us on the newsletter or on the, the weekly text chats that I send out. Um, and uh, follow us on Instagram. That's it. That's what I'm done plugging. All right. Enjoy the work we keep creating. And I'll see you next week. Yo. Yeah.